Wolves fans, a new era is here, and perhaps the area has never seen more Wolves hysteria. With that, new voices have been called to break it down. The poet coach and the cool crooner sound bring you X's and O's and insight with soul. Wolves talk for now and later with flavor that lasts. Welcome party people to the coach and the crooner, Timberwolves Podcast. Yeah, you think it ain't? What's going on, Coach? Man, I am happy to be back again. Season has started, and I'm in the studio with you, my brother. That's what's going on. Glad we can finally do it in the studio. Uh, thanks to COVID, we had to do things in a, in a more compartmentalized set, set situation last time, so it's good to be with you. Such is the way of the in world. the flesh. <laughs> yes. What you know? Man, I know that the Timberwolves have played six games and they've won four of them. And, you know, partway through, it sounded like the sky was falling in town. And, you know, I got accused of being too negative on Twitter. And then it's funny because that was before the San Antonio debacle. And then everybody was crazy negative and I was positive. <laughs> <laughs> you love to zag when everybody's zigging. Well, dig this. Let's get into this show. Yes, sir. Uh, welcome, everybody, to episode number three of The Coach and the Crooner. My name is Julius Collins. I'm a uh, actor and singer here locally in the Twin Cities and a longtime basketball enthusiast. I'm joined by the one and only Coach Frank Centwally. Frank yes. Centwally, how you doing, Coach? I'm doing well, man. Uh, it's my favorite time of year. We're getting lots of emails from uh, Coach McMillan over at Richfield about our upcoming basketball season. Excited for the players. The Timberwolves are in full swing. The Gophers are about to start Christmas. Beautiful time of year, indeed. Uh well, why don't we just hop right into it? We wanted to discuss a few things uh, relative to this team and their their current status. Yes. So let's let's we're going to go offense, defense, and then rebounding. So let's just start with offense. All right. This team offensively, in in my opinion, is obviously fits and starts. Has been a consistent. When it looks good, it looks to have the world as its potential. And then there are times when it's just. It's real herky-jerky, and it seems like they're still figuring out. What are your thoughts on the Minnesota Timberwolves offensively? Good and bad. Yeah, you know, it was known that it was going to be a bit of a work in progress as they try to figure things out. I think a lot of people were wondering how it was going to fit between Cat and Rudy and maybe didn't talk enough about how it was going to affect these really ball-dominant guards um, and how their um, decision-making on offense was going to kind of have a domino effect on really the other phases of the game, rebounding, transition defense, you know, things like that. And so we're starting to see kind of the big picture play out of what happens when basketball isn't synchronized in all phases of the game. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is when this team moves the ball, uh, when, when they pass to each other and when they cut with force and when they cut with purpose and they're, you know, it sounds cliche, but play basketball the right way, their talent shines in a way where you go, man, this team is deep. You can't guard all these guys. We're early in the season right now. So yes, I, I imagine this thing's going to take shape as we go along here. And I, I do have com- perfect confidence that Chris Finch will figure out a, a rhythm to do things both offensively and defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're only six games in. Is that is, is just because we're in the early stages of things that we're still seeing kind of a rough? Or is it a function of them trying so hard to integrate Rudy into things offensively? 
Um, I think the most disappointing and difficult thing about that is until they give consistent effort, um, we don't know. Like, you know, we, we, we don't know if it's a function of them trying to integrate Rudy or if it's a function of um, the offense just being clunky, as Finch said, because, you know, when you have so many guys standing around and you have so many guys over dribbling um, for large chunks of the game, um, it's hard to tell where exactly the problems are when you're still dealing with kind of some carryover issues offensively from the previous season. What we know is when they move the ball, it's pretty perfect case in point. And I won't use the two San Antonio games because the first game against San Antonio, their effort was so crap. You can't even really take anything out of that, but we'll use the last game against the Lakers and the previous game against San Antonio, both games that they won, but the offense looked very different in both games. Um, you know, the game they won against San Antonio, 39 team assists. The game they won against the Lakers, 27 team assists. And as a, you don't have to be a coach, you can be a fan, you can be a basketball novice and just look at those two games and go, there's a very different intentionality in how they're moving the ball and how they're moving their bodies off the ball in those two games. So until the effort is consistent, it's hard to know where the offensive problems are. Okay. <laughs> We saw San Antonio come in here and jump on them, and uh, and then we saw the the rematch and just how they responded in terms of effort. Is that all that was? Yeah, I mean, for and and when I say effort, I don't just mean you know running back or on uh, defense or running the floor on offense, but it's you know how quick are you making your decisions is a function of effort. How hard are you cutting? How often are you cutting? How quickly are you getting to the screening spot if you're Rudy or Cat and you're going to set a screen? You know, how quickly is the ball moving up the floor with the pass if you're D'Lo or Ant? Um, and also, you know, when Ant has a game like he had in the second game against San Antonio, um, people say, well, that's good, Ant, and, and this, that, and the other thing. When Ant makes his first shot, more often than not, you're going to get good Ant for 48 minutes. And Ant made a nice little, you know, they were running a set. The set broke down. He makes a nice little off-the-dribble three. Then he comes down, he makes his next three. And we've seen that with Ant. And that kind of permeates through the whole offense. Then we, then he's more willing to give the ball up because he's feeling good about himself. And when Ant's giving the ball up early and then the ball's coming back to him, it's good for everybody else. You know, Ant had a lot of nice assists to Jaden McDaniels. When the ball's moving, Jaden McDaniels is the beneficiary, and it was really noticeable in the games where the ball where the ball has kind of flowed and moved, and there has been a little bit of energy the first game of the season, especially, and then this last game again, you know, the last game against the Spurs. Well, who who when he scored twenty points both of those games, it's because Ant and Delo are giving up the ball. So when I say effort, I don't just mean like how hard are they running, but I mean intentionality in playing the game the right way, mentally and physically. I see Finch still trying to find uh, just some kind of rhythm mm -hmm. with his two bigs. Mm -hmm. See him experimenting with, with swapping them out. And mm -hmm. uh, last last night, and uh, as we're recording this, it's a Saturday, uh, they played the Lakers, and he closed with both of the big men. And I don't know if it was out of necessity. I think he said something along the lines of, well, we needed rebounds, and we weren't rebounding the ball, or we couldn't defend the basket. I'm not sure what, what his specific reasoning behind probably that was. Both. But, yeah, I'm guessing it probably had a little bit to do with both of those things. 
So he's still he's still figuring out the chemistry. Uh, but I feel like offensively that Cat is starting to figure out how he can be most functional and how he can best, like, amplify Rudy's abilities. And frankly, everybody else's because he's, give, he's, he's really distributing the ball really nicely this year. And when he's not hyper and when he's not, you know, loose voltage or stray voltage, he's really been decisive making the simple pass. As, I mean, I got to believe as a coach, it makes you insane when the simple pass is there and maybe it doesn't lead immediately to a basket, but it keeps the ball moving and ultimately will lead to a basket like, like a hockey assist. Um, I mean, is that – how does he keep that kind of level demeanor when he's passing? Because he's been really good passing the ball, and he's been especially effective passing big to big. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's kind of foreshadowing when we get to our closing segment that will debut. Um, but the last couple games, Cat has just taken what the defense gives him. And he's been passing well throughout the season, but then there's sections of games, um, especially in those first three games, where he would abandon it and go to, okay, I got to get mine now. Okay, so let me ask you that yeah. real quickly. Is that a function – is that like a function of like ants getting off? I gotta, I gotta get mine now. Is that like when 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 Finch refers to take a turn ball or whatever what the phrase he uses? Is that what's going on there? It's just like impatience. I, I I do think it's impatience, but I don't think it's related to ant. I just think it's related to overall trust. I think you know, and Finch has mentioned that that this team is learning to trust each other. And Jokic is the example that I'll use. You know, before he was the MVP. He was, you know, still diming teams to death, but still getting, you know, 19 to 20 points and Denver was winning. Right. And there was a trust developed that over the course of 48 minutes, I'm still going to get mine and I'm still going to make the impactful plays in the fourth quarter. But I don't need to force anything over the course of the game. It'll come. It'll happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think with all of this talent they have on the floor and with the addition of Rudy, um, I think Kat's just learning to trust that over the four quarters, it'll add up to me getting my 20 to 25 points without me having to abandon what the defense is giving me and force plays. And when he forces plays, that's when he gets frustrated. That's when the fouls don't get called. But the last couple games, he's starting to do something that we were kind of hoping would just happen from the beginning, which is he's just making quick decisions, catch and shoot, catch and pass. And even in the mid-range, you know, especially when the ball's moved first, catch, shoot it right in the guy's face from 17 feet. I'll take that type of cat all day over the cat that drives into three guys, forces up a five-shot, yells foul, doesn't get it, complains to the ref, and then jogs back. Well, you know, what we're starting to see is from both cat and Ant is they, they'll go ahead and drive it hard, and when they run into traffic, they're – they're, they're spinning around and, and throwing it out to, in, in many cases, Jay McDaniels out there beyond the three-point line, the top of the key. That seems to be something that's happening more frequently. Is that by design, or is it just like, man, I, I keep running into this wall. I, I've got to come up with another solution. I, I mean, I, I, I definitely think it's by design. My guess would be it's something that Finch has talked about in film sessions. That would be my guess is like, let's see what's available to us. Well, we don't we've have seen to it. make the tough play. So the last couple games, it's really started to become more frequent is, okay, put on the brakes, spin out, throw back behind us. Because Rudy, when he dives, whether he's rolling or whether he's going to crash off of penetration, you know, there's going to be a bunch of bodies in the paint. 
when Rudy goes to the paint. If Cat's driving, he's going to draw two. If Rudy's diving, you're going to have four guys in the paint. When Ant's driving, they're trying to put up a wall. You're going to have three to four guys in the paint. Um, so they're, I think, starting to see the easy play is just to spin out and kick out. Well, there have been two noticeable beneficiaries uh, to that, mm-hmm. that next-level thinking, and that's Jay McDaniels. He's making shots. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Noel, mm-hmm. who is coming in balling and just getting bucket after bucket. Mm-hmm. So that seems to be at least an effective next step to, like, having mugs just, like, running over people in the paint because they're so determined to get in there. Yeah, that and then, you know, the next step is then getting the pick and roll figured out with D'Lo and Rudy. And I think, you know, D'Lo could probably watch a little of that on film and go to that himself because teams are saying, we're not going to let D'Lo just throw lobs up to Rudy. We're going to bracket Rudy and we're going to force D'Lo to make floaters and, you know, crafty shots off the glass because throughout his career, he hasn't been known as somebody that wants to get all the way to the basket and he's doing it maybe at the expense of you know his very difficult balance of making sure I make the right play for me and making the right play for the team because he doesn't want to go in there and have to shoot every time right and so hopefully Delo starts to kind of adopt that okay let me slam on the brakes and kick back out and then we'll get swing swing shot um, because some of his turnovers which you know we talk about kind of the, the sloppy turnovers with D'Lo, you know, us, other podcasts. But some of his turnovers have lately been just trying to force the ball to Rudy when it's just not there. I thought that in the preseason that they were really intentional about doing that. It, it doesn't feel as forced. Now, I, it does seem like Chris Finch was serious when he said he's not going to use Rudy in the way that Utah used him. He seems to be diversifying the way they use Rudy, which... I kind of like. Yep. Um, it has seemed to make him more effective and, and more of a presence around the basket than even before. Um, that's, I can't believe that Finch has his entire offense imp- implemented yet. No, and I'll tell you what I like that I think Finch is playing the long game with Rudy is if I said that and I'm showing it out the gate and we're letting Rudy do things and kind of figure out what he can and can't do um, early. Because we're because discovering that he can do a couple of things that we never really, I mean, Rudy. Well, we're discovering it. Maybe Rudy always knew he could do it, but well, we're discovering you know, it. Well, we're discovering that Rudy's not afraid to put the ball on the floor yep. on, and, and, and make an aggressive move towards the basket, knowing that he is the bigger player. He got a surprising touch around the basket. He had, he showed off a little floater last night. He had a nimble finish with the left <laughs> he had hand. A nimble left hand finish. Yeah. We're seeing uh, a kind of dexterity to Rudy that I just I just thought of him more of as brute force, you know, elastic. Yes. But he's he's got some nuance to his offensive game. So here's the long game on that. You get to the playoffs, and what's the knock on Rudy in the playoffs? Not so much he gets played off the floor defensively. That's the you know that's the the lazy take. Right. But more so is he can't take advantage of switches with smaller guys offensively. But here's the thing. If you're Utah and you use him one way all season long and then you get to the playoffs and by design of the other team schemes, he's being forced to do something he hasn't been asked to do all year long. That's tough. But if you use him this way all season long, now you get to the playoffs and he knows how to score against those small switches because he's been doing it all season long. Finch. I just love the way this man coaches this team. I love his his philosophical approach to this. And it's clear because we've already seen 
Rudy take advantage of smaller guys around the basket. So we know that he's capable of doing it. And given the license, uh, I think it's going to open up things quite a bit for 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 the perimeter players. If they get a four or five seed in the playoffs somewhere in there, um, which a lot of things have to happen for that to happen with this team. But if they get there and teams try the traditional approach against Rudy, which is, okay, we're just going to switch and we're going to put a little guy on him in the paint. If he's been dominating little guy matchups all season, he's confident in his abilities. The, the, the Wolves are confident in his abilities. That throws a monkey wrench in the traditional, this is how we get rid of Rudy in the playoffs game plan. Uh we haven't really talked much about the other factors of why I think their offense, when it's going well, is, you know, some of the things that are happening. And we've talked about Ant and, and what he's capable. He's obviously the guy can can give you 30. He's uh, done that what, almost three out of the six games. He's going to average 25 a game this season if he stays consistent. And, and Cat and Rudy seem like they're starting to get an understanding of what, what each has to do when the other's on the floor with them. And then they're starting to, I feel like they're starting to sort out how it works when the other's off the floor. I'm starting to see a little bit better synergy in those departments. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not seeing as much synergy with D'Lo driving this thing. And my question, I feel like I ask this question every episode that we've done. Of course, it's just the third. So this will be the third time I'm asking you, damn it. What's the solution there? Because... In, in last night's game, he, he sat D-Lo at a really important part of that game. That could just be a function of match, matchups or it could have been coincidental. But I, I, I don't think the D-Lo's playing badly, and I'm not um, trying to champion running him out of town. But I, I'm starting to have some concerns about his pace and how it impacts other people. I agree. Um, I think to use the uh, cliche, D-Lo's going to have to figure it out. I mean, I just, I just think that he's got to figure it out. And I think the Wolves brass is watching this long term. Um, I think Britt Robeson, uh, posted, you know, kind of for all the people that want to trade D-Lo, trade Cat, run them out of town. Like you have to understand that nobody's making any moves after five games and that this is, you know, if D-Lo ends up being moved, it's going to be a long, you know, a long game, a big picture game. And I just think, and I agree, I think you can't make any, real statements about this team until 20 games in and you know the all-star break is basically after almost 50 games you know or the trading deadline I'm sorry and we'll kind of figure it out then but I just think Digo's going to have to figure it out and it might be Finch making some moves at certain types of the game because he wants a different pace and energy. I think last night's game against the Lakers, Jordan McLaughlin's absence was glaring um, because outside of the very early parts of games, and you know, we'll talk later about why we think that is, um, the offense doesn't, when it has gotten hum- humming, and again, we'll take that first San Antonio game and just throw that in the trash because nothing happens without effort first. But outside of, you know, um, that game, the offense doesn't really seem to get a flow and to get a, a rhythm until Jordan McLaughlin comes into the game. And so I think Delo's going to have to figure it out. I think that his kind of herky-jerky, really, really patient pace 
um, it's going to take longer for Rudy to figure out and him and Rudy on that role game because Rudy compared him to Ingles, right, in the, in the interview before the season started. Um, but the thing about Ingles is once he makes a decision, he makes a decision and goes. He might not be moving super fast, but once he makes a decision, you know that that pace is going to stay consistent once the decision is made. And so it's easy for Rudy to time that. I think it's a little harder for him to time D'Lo because D'Lo is so – scanning, right? And, and, and hesitating and herky jerky. And sometimes he ends up just literally walking to the basket for a layup. But again, we haven't seen the passes to Rudy on target on time and rhythm where like a Jalen Noel, who's throwing a couple really nice lobs to Rudy. He's making a, you know, it's like a running back running in his own blocking scheme. You put that foot in, in the ground and you make that one cut and you're gone. Right. And it's easier for blockers to block a guy that makes that one cut and he's gone versus a guy that's, you know, dancing back there. Well, uh, I just find it um, like, I, obviously, I've seen how playing the pick and roll when 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 D'Lo's playing with Rudy, how it benefits D'Lo. I mean, obviously, practically has a, a easy corridor to the basket every time, practically. I asked you about this earlier, and I'm just curious about this because I just have this um, this archetype of a point guard that I think would be like most ideal mm-hmm. to play with with uh, this club. And, and this is no way to denigrate um, D'Lo, but but when we're yeah, I'm just talking about styles. When D'Lo comes off that pick, and for example, there are guards that come off that pick, and they're they're downhill in a hurry, and and, and Jalen Noel is a perfect example of that. And he's really decisive. He's going. And there seems to be defensively like more of a freak-out factor about him actually going and taking that easy. But they, they don't seem as willing to do that for him. They're, they're, he's just attacking, and, and his lob seems more natural to Rudy. Is there anything to the fact that certain guards, because they attack with such ferocity, that it freaks makes the defense react like maybe a nanosecond sooner than they would ordinarily do with D'Lo. Absolutely. You've got to get, you've got to get where you're going to help faster. I mean, and here's the, here's just the, the, the human nature of it all. Nobody likes to be Pirtle for San Antonio in the second game and get double clutch pounded on by a guard coming down the lane the way Jalen Noel dunked on his head. You know, and he's hanging on the rim and, you know, like nobody, no big man wants to be that guy, right? No guard wants to be that yeah. guy. And so there's absolutely a fear factor when a guy like, for example, John Morant is coming downhill, you know, so fast at you and you know that once they get in the air, they're a problem, right? That's not Delo's game. You're not worried about Delo getting in air, right? Um, and so... Um, I mean, they seem it, to be playing him for the pass there. I mean, they, yeah, they yeah. seem more freaked out about the lob. Yeah, they're and more they, worried about Rudy. Yeah, and we've seen plenty of turnovers there. You, you mentioned right. earlier, he's, he's throwing that lob because he doesn't want people to or think he's... Or the bounce pass. He's trying to throw the pocket yeah. pass in between three people. He's trying to force Rudy. So I absolutely think that there is something to be said for that timing is more difficult 
um, for a guard like Digo, who's coming at more of a methodical pace, you know, um, it, um, versus a guy, you know, who's coming downhill hard. And then once they elevate, can dunk on you like that. Um, it definitely every the defense has to react faster. What Digo's trying to do is create a guessing game with the defense and indecisiveness by the defense lead to the right decision, the right play. And like we said, Digo's getting a lot of layups just by literally walking to the cup as teams like, okay, I got to stunt, but get back to the shooter and cat. I got to bracket Rudy, you know, and Digo's just keeping guys on his hip and looking and looking and looking and looking. Oh, here's a layup. Thank you. You know, but eventually either he's going to have to do that more for teams to get off of Rudy or he's going to have to, like we said, put on the brakes, kick out, or he's going to have to just continue to make little floaters and little 12 footers to death. But that's what teams are willing to give up and live with. Well, you mentioned Jaden earlier, and I just want to go back to him really quickly before we discuss Torian and, and, and Jalen and uh, some of that bench mob. But <clears throat> I just think that you, you explain it. it's obviously very clear, but Jaden McDaniels is so valuable to this team. Um, just the way he spaces the floor, but when he did, when he attacks his mid range game, that dude is just getting better and better every freaking game. Absolutely. And offensively, he's not so thirsty that he's going to get an attitude when the ball doesn't come to him a couple of times down the floor. He seems really even minded about that. Maybe I've started to see at times a little frustration. Um, you know, just little subtle things. Um, and his presser the other night, he's like, you know, I don't, I don't care if I score any points as long as we win. Yeah, and and I think that's legit. But here's the flip side of that: if Jaden McDaniels isn't scoring any points, then they're not probably playing a winning brand of basketball that is sustainable long term. Um, and so, like last night, I could start to like he took a shot last night that I haven't maybe seen Jaden take for, you know, a couple seasons. Um, part of it, he got caught up in a little mano-a-mano with LeBron. And, but, you know, and, and it's hard to get disengaged when LeBron is your, when you're guarding LeBron on the other end. Like, just by the nature of I'm guarding LeBron James, you're going to be engaged whether you're getting the ball on offense or not. Um, but, you know, when they, when, when uh, Deagles, after the first game, said, you know, Jaden McDaniel scored 20 points and we didn't run that one play for him, right? If Jaden McDaniel is scoring 20 points, that means the offense is really good. That means bodies are moving, the ball is moving, and that's the way basketball is supposed to be played. And I think Jaden kind of understands that to a certain extent. So it's easy to get frustrated, especially if the team's not ahead on the scoreboard or if the game is closer than it should be against a bad team. And Jaden knows that, well, I'm not getting any touches because you guys are just jacking one pass, no pass possessions. And this isn't conducive for winning. And then you're still asking me to, you know, guard the way you want me to guard on the other end. I don't want to waste this effort. We shouldn't be losing this game. And so we'll see how that plays long term. But the best thing that can happen for this team is these guys can figure out that if Jaden McDaniels is scoring, that means we're playing a good brand of basketball. And if we're playing a good brand of basketball, we're probably winning or at least coming down the stretch competitive against some of the elite teams that they'll see going forward. We've been a couple of guys off the bench who have been, in my opinion, really good so far this season. And one of them 
is trying to get paid, and the other one is just a veteran that you love having on your squad. Torian Prince, from the very first preseason game, has clearly indicated he's serious about winning, and he's serious about modeling the kind of behavior that's going to be necessary to win. Right. Uh, Jalen, and so he's making shots early in this year, whereas obviously that happened towards the end of last year, and he was really solid uh, down the stretch into the playoffs. But he seems to be like picking up where he left off last year. And Jalen Noel, with the extra burn, is is proving to be everything they hoped he would be. Yeah, I mean, I think the bench overall has been really good, even if not necessarily. I guess I could throw Nas in there too because he's gonna say duty Nas and, and Jordan McLaughlin, really, right? Yeah, they've been really good. Yeah, though, all four of those guys when they've gotten in the game, it hasn't always shown in terms of shot making. I mean, Torian shooting the lights out. Jalen Noel's had you know three games where he shot really well and two games where he hasn't shot as well, but still played well. But he still played well, mm-hmm. right? And Jordan McLaughlin didn't shoot well in the first game, still played well and he didn't play obviously uh, last night against the Lakers but those three games in between um, he's played extremely well and doing Jordan McLaughlin things and getting that offense humming you know and so I think the bench guys that have played consistently have played really well Bryn Forbes has struggled shooters are gun- shooters are bipolar like that I tweeted last night before <laughs> you know? he made his first three points I was like has this dude even made a shot this year I don't think he had but you know like I said shoot sh- when people live and die with their jump shot it's bipolar. He'll go through stretches like this and then he'll go through a, a two-week stretch where he's just a flamethrower. We've seen that with shooters. Taking quality seen that shots. With bees. Right. He's not taking he's not, bad he's shots. Taking he's just bad missed. Shots. Um, so yeah, and, and, and yeah, Torian Prince's energy from the first preseason game not only has, do I think he's made the point that like I'm healthy and I'm picking up from where I left off, but I'm going to play the game the right way. I'm not playing with any entitled, we have all this talent, we're supposed to win. I'm in attack mentality on both ends of the floor every second I'm on the floor because this is how everybody needs to play for us to get where we want to be. Jalen Noel um, is playing with a chip on his shoulder, and gosh, do I love his pace. Uh, yeah. Not just whether he's making like last night didn't shoot well, and I even heard the announcer say this is not a Jalen Noel game. He played, I want to say, twenty six minutes, maybe even a little more. I can look it up real quick. Um, let me. I just want to look this up really quick because I think it's important to note um, about Jalen Noel. Uh, he played twenty minutes, five rebounds, five assists. So you can say he didn't shoot well, but his energy did not wane at all, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, Nas didn't play last night. Uh, J Mac, obviously he was, Nas was a healthy DNP, uh, coach's decision and J Mac was in street clothes. Um, but those two guys, you know, their energy has been consistent. Their mental approach has been consistent and their productivity in the areas that contribute to winning, whether they're making shots or not, has been consistent. And of course, in the second San Antonio game, we saw Jalen Noel at his unstoppable best, right? So, well, all, like all those dudes have, have been ready when it's go time, whenever Finch calls a number, they seem ready to go. Nas is rebounding. There's an intentionality to his rebounding that I really appreciate because you know he's playing five and a four when he's getting out there, and but he's he's boxing out and going to get that rock and man hands on it. 
He and you said the first thing. He's boxing out and then going to get the rock, and he's rebounding with force. And he's one of the few players that I've seen be intentional about boxing out. Pretty much every time a shot goes up around him in the few minutes that he's played. Um, side note about that though, um, I noticed Rudy boxing out a couple of times, and I really do think that that's example setting. Like I'm seven two, and I could just go and get the rebound. But no, if I'm boxing out as the biggest man on the floor, damn it, everybody should be boxing out. And the bench and, and Jalen Noel's rebounding has been off the charts. Yeah. You know, and, and he talk about somebody who's going to get it. You know, he's he's been a guard who has not waited for the ball to, you know, come to him on an outlet pass. He's been rebounding his behind off. Yeah, you know, we're gonna get into rebounding later. Yes, sir. But I there couple of curious things that are going on that I just have to run by you and see what your thoughts on them on. But let's move on to defense. Yes, sir. And I want to get your impressions uh, <laughs> on what you think is going on defensively with this team. I would say part of it is just inconsistency of energy and effort. Like it, it you know, I hate to say it, but there's it's been a sense of entitlement. Um, that they've played with from an energy standpoint. And it's kind of like, we're good. We know we're good. And, you know, this team doesn't know what it's like to be the hunted. And they've played teams that have all season heard about how they're tanking and about how they're crappy they're going to be. And also on the flip side, all offseason, everybody's talked about how the Timberwolves made the biggest splash. And these other teams have heard about all the, you know, media talking about how the Timberwolves have a light early season schedule. And these teams have come out and they've played with maximum focus and intensity. And the Timberwolves have played too often, especially given the kinks that they still have to work out, like, okay, we're going to win the game just by showing up. And so when that's your attitude, that's the first, you know, disaster when you start talking about defense, let alone just fit and two bigs on the floor and how they're going to get back and all of that. If you don't bring the A energy, you know, if you if you don't bring that intensity um, and that energy language to start for 48 minutes, your defense is going to suck because you're playing NBA players. These guys can all score. They all show up at the club and will kill everybody. You know, so. Yeah, I, so. I just noticed a, a shit ton of shot making against us and at times wide open looks. And then some, at, at times some tough shots are getting made, but I. Comfort. When you allow, when you allow NBA players to get comfortable, they're going to make shots. Look. I had an expectation that because they have such a quality rim defender mm-hmm. that there would be more pressing up on these perimeter shooters. And it doesn't seem like there's been as much of that as I'd hoped. I think Finch had that expectation too. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why there's been a number of press conferences where he looked red as he sat down and tried to keep himself measured because he understands it's a long season, but you can read the tea leaves, right? Um, and, and so yeah, I think we all expected that, you know, Ant would play more consistently with his ball pressure, that Dilo would play more consistently with his ball pressure. Um, you know, Jaden's got a tough matchup night in and night out. Um, and then, so to me, there's three things that are hampering the defense. We talked about the effort, right? So, well, actually four, because that's at the top. That's the heading, right? Yeah. Effort. Um Bad offense, 
usually makes a team struggle in transition defense. And when you're not the fastest of foot team at two positions on the floor, you can't afford to have bad offense. Bad shots, imbalance. Even if it's a good shot, if it's a good shot, but the the team isn't expecting that shot, so to speak, that that leads to bad transition defense, lack of ball movement, which means the defense isn't moving. So if the defense is constantly moving laterally and having to defend cuts, they can't just beeline it down the floor. They have to stop, turn, and go. But if the defense is just standing there watching somebody play one-on-one or watching two people play two-on-two, and then the person that they're guarding isn't crashing, that shot goes up, they're beelining it down the floor. So that's so and then if you don't if you're not playing with effort, so if you're jogging while your guy that was just standing next to you was beelining it, so you mix bad shot selection, bad ball movement with bad effort, that's a recipe for disaster. So you got effort, you got bad offense, um off, uh, off, giving up offensive rebounds, which again, track, we're going to talk about re- rebounding later, tracks back to effort, and then not making the effort to close out the shooters after offensive rebounds. That's going to be lead to bad defense, right? So it's a combination of all of these things, and then there's the gun shyness that comes if you're a big and you go to contest. And there's no collapsing from the outside in to rebound. Then you stop contesting. And we've seen that with Rudy a little bit um, where it's kind of like, well, why is Perto getting easy five footers right in front of Rudy? You would think he should go and contest that shot and make it difficult. Well, Rudy's having to make a business decision. Go contest that shot and give up an offensive rebound because nobody's rebounding behind me. Or see if I can get in, see if he'll miss those, you know, short five footers i.e. bad defense, right? So it's a combination of things, but it really all starts with effort and intentionality about winning the damn game. There's something that's just been bugging the hell out of me, and I just don't know what the hell's going on with it, but it's just bizarre. It's happened like several times now, so it's a theme as far as I'm concerned. Somebody is takes the ball to the basket and makes a relatively easy layup. And, I mean, like almost instantaneously, the, th- the ball's thrown over their head. Just they're, they're laying it at the other end. I mean, I know that that's bad floor balance, but how is that? By being consistently lazy and consistently entitled in your effort. It's ridiculous. You, I mean, if, if all you got to do is just wa- watch it, just instead of watching whether the shot goes in, watch the first step of the defenders on the perimeter that are guarding Wolves players and watch the first step of the Wolf player that – is being guarded. Just watch the first step. When I coach my players, I tell my players, your first two steps can determine the outcome of an offensive possession and transition. And what they call that false steps. Right. And what you see is a lot of, you know, the other team is sprinting to their spots or sprinting down the floor and Wolves players jogging. Case in point. Oh my gosh, it drove me crazy. There was a play last night where um, the Timberwolves missed a shot. LeBron James is coming down the floor and Cat is jogging, right? And LeBron is sprinting. There's a player back. I can't remember who it was. There was a player back. I mean, it might have been Torian Prince. And I'm looking at how long it's taking Cat to get to the middle of the paint. 
from 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 the uh, off his offensive side of half court to the defensive side of half court to the middle of the paint because you know what LeBron's going to yep. do. You know LeBron is going you know to attack the front of the rim dead. if there's no wall in front of him. If you're Cat, you have to be on a dead sprint beeline and show LeBron your chest before he gets to the paint. He barely got turned around before LeBron got there. And he got an and one, yeah. He got an right. and one. But if he had been running hard the whole time, yeah. LeBron is deterred from driving because he's looking at a wall set up. Mm-hmm. That's just effort and intentionality about winning the damn game. You know the scouting report. This is LeBron James. Nobody should be guessing what LeBron James does well by his 20th year being one of the about to be an all-time leading scorer in history. Run your ass down the floor and set up that wall and stop jogging. Let me ask you this. I mean... I don't know how much this plays into it or and not. Cat had a great game, so but I'm just cherry picking this incident well, as a overarching problem with their defense. Sure. Well, one thing I did not uh, anticipate coming to the season was just how bad they were going to be getting back in transition. So I guess Neither this leads Kent. me to this question: Is this a function? I mean, could this possibly be a function of they didn't have a traditional kind of training camp? Cat was out. Rudy was playing in the Euro tournament. Is it possible that people still aren't in the best shape? It could be conditioning. And I think, you know. For- not, not, don't get me wrong. I do think there, there's a real element of we're good. We know we're good mm-hmm. uh, to that. And, and, and I don't hate anything more than that. It's like, man, go out and show me that you're good. Don't tell me how good you think you're going to be. Just be it. But my question is, is, is it possible? I mean, I, I did see Ant say he's not in the best, his best. Mm-hmm. He's not in his, like peak shape yet. Yeah. He's like three or few games away from that. So he's probably not the only one. Yeah. And so I'm thinking Cat is, is is a candidate for someone who might not be in the best possible shape yet. I think it's a combination of all of those things. Cause here's the deal. I don't know a coach from twelve U that doesn't preach sprint back and getting matched up in transition. It's one of the fundamental things that you try to teach basketball players when they first start playing basketball. So I know these guys understand the value and the importance of it. And I think it's a combination of all of those things. I think it's a little bit of entitlement. I think it's a little bit of quality of opponent. It's just, just a human element. You know, you can't avoid it no matter how much you tell yourself. you got to play hard all the time. There's a quality of opponent factor in terms of just not matching the level of intensity of the guys that they're playing. I think it's a little bit of conditioning um, and just a, a decision. Like ultimately, you make a decision. And when the Spurs embarrassed them, the next game against the Spurs, they made a decision that they were going to sprint their asses back and get back in transition. And it showed night and day. Can they be consistent with that and make that identity? Because like we talk about the Spurs, you know, Pop got multiple ring cred. You don't get to play for pop if you're not going to do these little things consistently so that if you beat San Antonio, you beat them because your talent, which was greater than their talent, played the game the right way. Well, I think, you know, I mean, you mentioned this. They, I, I don't think there's any, it's human nature. They came into this season thinking that that first seven game stretch and we've gone through six of them now and they're four and two mm-hmm. in their defense. But. I don't know that people realize, and we did, because we actually had this literal conversation about how Utah and and OKC and San Antonio weren't coming in here to lose early in the season. They clearly, uh, I, they were more prepared 
to play Timberwolves and the Timberwolves were to play Play them. them. Right. And that's just from an intensity standpoint, you know, and that I also think a little bit of that is being the hunted is a very new position for these guys. And so understanding that you're going to get other teams close to a game, even the bad teams, especially early in the season, Every time out, you know, when when Cat said it's championship or bust after the Gobert trade and Draymond Green laughed, Draymond Draymond Green laughed because Draymond Green knows what it's like to get every team's haymaker night in and night out, not just over the playoffs, but over 82 games. Right. And Draymond's like, yeah, you can talk that mess, but you don't know what it's like to be the hunted. They're finding out what it's like to be the hunted. There you go. Well, let's take just a, a minute and discuss what I consider to be a little bit of a troubling trend, and that is rebounding. Um, I guess when I thought about this team, I mean, my first instinct, obviously, is to think rebounding won't be an issue for this team, not just because they have two big dudes, but but because they're a big team, and those two big dudes are proficient rebounders, so I didn't anticipate it being a situation. I think about the offensive rebounds uh, or the defensive rebounds that we were unable to corral last year, it seemed like a lot of that happened around the basket. And this year it seems like there's there's a lot of long rebounds and we're not getting to them. Well, that's also the, the effort effect and the Rudy effect. Like, ultimately, if Rudy Gobert's on your team, teams are going to be less likely to want to drive in there, right? And so they're going to, you know, you look at the game between the Wolves and the Lakers last night, you got... 78 three-point shots attempted combined. You know, I think uh, if you if you go to the the game against um, you go to the game against the Spurs, you know the second game against the Spurs, and you have you know 70 three-point shots attempted between the two teams combined, and so more three-point shots, you know, the Wolves, you know, last last season, I think they were, what, third in the league or something like that. They were really high yeah. up there in three-point shots attempted. Mm-hmm. Finch still wants to shoot I want to threes. say they were number one they, in they may have been. shots attempted. They, right? So, so they were, you know, so they want to shoot threes. Um, Rudy, by having Rudy on your team and by having Rudy and Cat playing together, other teams are going to shoot more threes. Um, and, and consequently, they're going to be long rebounds. Consequently, there's going to be long rebounds. So your guards are not, like, digging back. And so so this goes back to what we talked about, about kind of the natural personality of the guards, right? Kind of Delos kind of a casual personality. Smiling ants, drummer. Ants got right. They, they can't Don't stand get me started. Drum, right? And ants personality can kind of be, you know, basketball personality. I mean, on the court can be kind of, you know, everything comes easy, so to speak. You know, we've talked about Jaden has to up his rebounding per his length and athleticism, but he's also not the most beefy guy in the world. Um, These guys have got to stop watching the ball when the shot goes up and they've got to stop standing there and letting their guy, you know, they're literally turning and watching the ball and their guys are running from right behind them. They don't see them coming and they're running right in there and they're either jumping to get those long rebounds that are bouncing just over Rudy or Cat or Rudy or Cat has to jump and lean back to get those rebounds, which makes you shorter because you're leaning backward and those guards are grabbing those rebounds. Um, and which isn't, you know, Ants had a couple double-digit rebounding games. Delos had a couple decent rebounding games. Noel's had, a, you know, a decent rebound 
rebounding game. But over the course of the 48 minutes, the sheer volume, whether it's the three-point shot or what we talked about earlier, guy penetrates, Rudy comes over to help. He can't box out his guy and go and contest the shot at the same time. And the guards just aren't being forceful and physical enough coming from the outside in and getting those rebounds, you know, um, when there's a missed shot from close in. So, you know, you add all of that together. Again, starts with effort. You add the effort and just being second to loose balls because you're standing and watching. I have a saying on that I say to my players, if you're watching and waiting, you're not winning. If you're loafing and lackadaisical, you're losing, right? I always try to impart that in my players. If you stand and watch when the shot goes up and wait to see where the ball is going to come down, the other team's likely to get it first. The team that's active and moving, They're not matching the intensity of their opponent. So it's the combination of effort. It's the combination of personality. Because I'll tell you who's not having any trouble rebounding for the few minutes he's in the game every night, Jalen Noel. You know, Torian Prince isn't having any trouble rebounding. Um, And so if they're going to clean up the boards, it's on, you know, and to continue. D'Lo to get more of those long rebounds. Um, Jade McDaniels to rebound better. Because there's no reason that Rudy should grab 22 rebounds in the game and you lose the rebounding battle. Or, you know, or you're even on the boards on the rebounding battle. And it's not like Cat's not rebounding. He's getting 8-9, which he's going to get less because Rudy's getting more, right? And so that's on the guards and the wings to match the intensity of the opponent and play the game the right way. And here's the funny thing, Crooner. As a guard, it's so easy. All you have to do is turn your head and take one step toward the guy you're guarding when that shot goes up from distance. If you turn your head and take one step toward him, then you can take a lateral step in either direction and deter his straight line run to the rebound or straight line run to the loose ball. It's that simple. Turn your head and we call it checking. I'm checking to see if my guy is crashing. Turn your head and check and just meet him at the point so that he doesn't get a straight line to the ball. And then you can go get the ball if it's a long rebound because they have to veer off their path. But if you just turn and watch and then the ball bounces long and now it's a foot race to the ball, you've already lost because they've already started moving. It's that's that's what's so infuriating. It's basketball one-on-one elementary. Turn your head and check. You ready to introduce a new segment to our show? Yes, sir. It's called Concerning Trends versus I Hope It Never Ends. Yes, sir. <laughs> Concerning Trends versus, versus I Hope It Never Ends or I Hope It Never Ends. I'm going to throw a few of what I would consider Concerning Trends. So we're going to do five apiece, right? Sure. We'll do, do five apiece. We'll we want to alternate them or you want to do your five and I do my five? I'm well, here's the question. Do, do we just we can just offer them up and elaborate after we've shared them or we can... Offer one up each and elaborate quickly, just a little. I like that idea. My first trend, because I'm going to beat you to it, because I know I. (laughs) I. Cats on court maturity is, I think, this team's is really going to go as far as his on court maturity is going to take them. Because when that guy is level headed and he's operating, especially as a passer, Things move so easily, and when he's when he's shooting the ball and he's been relaxed and he's just not over the top, um, when he's complaining to referees, when he's not getting back on defense, all these things seem like they're they're fixable if he can just learn to control his on court temperament. Mm-hmm. On court maturity for Carl Anthony Towns. 
I'm going to, and I know they don't let you do this at every casino, but I'm going to split and then double down on that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so yes, um, I would say, especially the starting lineups, overall maturity. Yes, I agree with you 100%. Cat complaining uh, is is an issue, but I would say overall approach to consistently over 48 minutes, maturity-wise, playing the game the right way. That's decision-making, that's energy and effort, that's togetherness in terms of Trust in moving the ball. Which now, are you, are you talking about the whole team? Because I'm talking about I'm talking about Cat specifically because I think that Cat, as the best player on this team, has a moral obligation to model the kind of behavior that is going to lead to winning. And I agree. I would say, I mean, I'm doubling down on that and saying the whole team has um, to take a more mature approach to basketball. And so I'll run down my example. What's your first? What's your first Cat complaining, absolutely. That's that's at the top of the list. So me and you are in agreement on okay, so on this. That. This but is this is something we just talked about. So we don't really need to go right. over it anymore. But rebounding is something that that is troubling for me. I, I would like to see them dominating more with the size that they have. Right, and, and that's again that's the effort thing, right? So when I think of concerning, you know, that concerning trend, you talk about maturity. Maturity is also at Understanding that you can't get tunnel vision and being basketball aware, knowing time and situation, when's the right time to take that jump shot or not. Or don't complain to the official at crunch time against Utah after a ball that you thought went over and back, but it was a jump ball, so it's not an over and back. Have a higher basketball IQ than that. And while you're complaining to the official, Utah goes and scores an easy crunch time basket. Maturity. Digo's nonchalant turnovers maturity. Um, okay, so you just, you're just you getting into my third concern because that's my third concern. So late game our, execution. Our Mature dealers. teams don't have bad late game execution. Right. So that's so again, maturity again, overall. My, maturity overall, I will buy that. But again, Starting I'm getting into specific people because I think specific people can actually have a really uh, larger impact on kind of like making those things come to fruition. Cat acting more mature, making more mature decisions, being more professional uh, in the last five minutes of games, that sort of thing can permeate a team. Concerning trend number one, we pretty much agree on. Rebounding, we, I know we agree on rebounding, we are just talking about it, but you just mentioned D'Lo, and I do think that... So this is your number two? This is my number three, because okay. rebounding was my number two. Did you okay. give me your number two? Um, I had rebounding as my number four. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so. I imagine we'll have some, there'll be some overlapping. And frankly, we don't need to beat a dead horse on the rebounding thing, but I think... But also, and reacting to shooters after you do give up an offensive rebound. So that was my other concerning trend about rebounding. Not just giving up the offensive rebound, but then fanning out and reacting to contest after you give up an offensive rebound. So we'll, rebounding was two for you, four for me, moving on. Three for you. Well, you just brought it up, and for me, it's it's it's... D'Lo, and I'm not sure how to be specific about this, but he's losing the ball way too often. And in this last game, in crunch time, his coach sat him down. We know that happened in the playoffs last year in, in, in crunch time. I'm not saying that's a trend necessarily, but what I'm seeing is that he's this hasn't been a smooth transition as I thought it would be for him. Mm-hmm. And, and he's not playing terribly. No. But, but I just feel like he has, he's not nearly as effective as, as I think he would want to have been thus far. Well, I had, you know, again, my number one was a series of players in maturity. So for me, Digo still falls under that maturity thing in my number one. Um, 
I have a, I have a funny feeling that all of mine are going to be like under the umbrella of maturity. No, well, I'm not I, <laughs> basically, we're three podcasts in, and starting from the first podcast, the number one thing we were concerned about with this team was basketball maturity. So, and I say basketball maturity because I'm not questioning their maturity as men in life and in the world. We're just talking about maturity and the things that are necessary to be a consistent winning professional winning team in the NBA. Um, let me get to my number two, though, because, again, it, it, it does fall in that line, but it was. Well, I've gone through three, so you go two and three. Go ahead. Okay, I'll, go, I'll go two and three to get caught up. My number two was inability to play with consistent energy language. And that's a term I'm going to keep in my vocabulary is energy language. We often talk about body language. What do you mean by that? Energy language, I mean consistent, you know, how, how good energy language is Consistent pace of movement, you know, up-tempo pace, cutting hard, um, boxing out with intent from the guards, you know, really physically redirecting people, sprinting back in transition defense, sprinting it down the floor in transition offense, the intentionality of making quick decisions with the ball like Jalen, J-Mac, Torian Prince. They're playing with great energy language consistently for 48 minutes. Not everybody's doing that, and that's a trend that you don't have right now. You don't have – Everybody, all eight, nine, ten guys that have been in the rotation playing with consistent positive energy language um, for the amount of time that they're on the floor. To me, I got three guys I can call out that I say have consistently played with positive energy language every game the entire time they're on the floor. And then I got five, six guys, you know, five guys that have been up and down on that. So that was my number two. We talked about the value of, of, of having Vanderbilt and and, and, and never questioned their energy language. Pat Bev's energy, that's great energy language. Never questioned it, not once. You know, except for when Vando was hurt, and even then you could tell he had positive energy language. He just wasn't physically healthy. Right. So that was my number I like two that. concern about you know the concerning trend of inability to play with consistent energy language. My number three was start of third quarters. Um and you know, we talked in our first pod about Who's or maybe second pot about who's going to be the guy in that starting unit that has that attack mentality. Surprisingly, most of the games they've started the first quarters well. I've also noticed in those first quarters, though, um, there's been an intentionality about getting the ball flowing, at least in the first couple possessions. Here's the thing. Habits are called habits for a reason. And over the course of the game, we're seeing players fall back into their old habits. Ant pounding the ball, Digo pounding the ball, Cat holding the ball too long. We talked about Cat starting to maybe make those adjustments. So to start third quarters, you're not starting the game now. You're half, you're half into the game. That's what I wanted to ask you. I'm like, how is it this team seems to get off to really good starts? I mean, like fairly regularly, they seem to get off to really good starts. And so what's so different about coming out of halftime versus coming into the game from from the beginning? Do do we need an anthem? Because I'll be happy to do it again uh, before the second half starts. What what's why are they not energized? Why are they so discombobulated? If it were football, I would say Finch needs to script the first 10 plays coming out of halftime. (laughs) But it's but he can't do that because basketball is played in flow. But but you're saying there's 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 a. Different. There's a definite like intention to the way they're playing to start games. To start games, yeah. And 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 the intention is get everybody involved. 
by the start of the third quarter, you're in the flow of the game, and so players are playing to their habits. Ah. And Digo's habit is to pound the ball. Ant's habit is to pound the ball. Cat's habit is to hold the ball. Now you're back into the bad offense habits that Finch has been trying to coach them out of, and the other team is like, okay, this team that's got, you know, three top 25 players, they're not so big and bad. Matter of fact, we can, let's go out and punch these guys in the mouth and put the pressure on them because when you're supposed to win, all the pressure's on you. And so you're seeing teams come out in the third quarter with the attitude of let's put the pressure on them. And you're seeing a Timberwolf team come out in the third quarter in the flow of the game, reverting back to some of their bad habits. Lack of ball movement, lack of body movement, and lack of intensity is going to lead to a 17 to 13, 3, 25 to 4 run for the opponent. And that's what you started to see, especially, you know, in the first few games coming out of the locker room. Hopefully they've started to figure it out a little bit, but it is a concerning trend. That was your two. That was my three. So I went to two three. and three. Okay. I'm going to move on to four. And yes, frankly, sir. this guy is going to appear in my concerning trends. And, <laughs> and he's also going to appear in my hope it never ends because okay. I'm just this side of obsessed with him. Okay. Jade McDaniels. Yes, sir. Foul trouble. Yes, sir. Um, it, it hasn't been a problem in every game, but he, he followed out last night against the Lakers. Totally understandable. He, he's guarding LeBron. Yeah, he got he got at least two. This is LeBron foul yeah, calls. Yeah, I was just gonna say, and he got a couple of calls. Or LeBron got LeBron calls, uh, and, and then he had another game where he was in foul trouble early. On, I think three fouls in the first quarter. Uh, I don't know if it qualifies as a concerning trend. Uh, not in the way it would have been for me if he was playing a four. What What are your thoughts on that? Um, I I don't know if I can call it a trend yet after five games, six because, games or six games. Yeah, because like you said, there's been two, even the game where he picked up three fouls early. I think he managed to foul less. We have to keep it in mind that Jaden is usually guarding either on the ball, so he's the guy getting screened, or he's guarding the other, or he's guarding the other team's best player who they're running off screens off the ball. I actually think he's been outstanding defensively. I think there's going to be and I think he gets a really I think he gets, you know, I'm just gonna say it, this is the internet. He gets a shitty whistle. Um and so I think like last night we saw your guard in LeBron and there was a couple foul calls where it's just like, man, come on. You know, and so and and had a clean strip on him at one point, and they the replay was even clearer. And you know, yeah, Fish didn't challenge it, but I was like, my goodness, that is a superstar call. Yeah, and so and so I, you know, me personally, I think he's doing better. I think it's going to be a little bit up and down early. I think well, even in the game where he had three fouls early, he didn't foul out, tapered it off, right? I I don't even know if he ended up with five fouls in that game. And I hope what happens is that the more like he was, he he guarded LeBron last night. Like he gave LeBron fit. LeBron's going to get his. He's LeBron. He knows how to play the whole game and get buckets when. Jaden's not on him. That dude is guarding people this year. Jaden is guarding work last night. Right. And so, and so the hope is that as he does that more consistently throughout the season, he starts to get a better whistle from the refs. Um, so it's something to watch for, but I wouldn't call it a a trend yet from my opinion, but I see why you bring it up. What's your, what's your four? My four was rebounding, so we already covered that. So we can go straight to All your right. five. Well, we've already covered my five, too, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway because I was, like, really wanting to ask you, what in the hell is going on with this team at the top of third quarters, and what can Finch do to 
energize them or focus them or like to to convince them that falling back into bad habits obviously is 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 folly. So I mean, what 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 is the solution to this third quarter conundrum? It's on the players. I don't think it has really anything to do with Finch. You know, Pat Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt are not walking through that door. <laughs> but uh, but I, I think it's on the players. Um, I think Finch did allude to the idea that, you know, some of these guys are getting in game shape and it's really hard when you sit down for 20 minutes, you know, and that, that you know, I'm sure they do things in the locker room to try to keep the lactic acid from building up and getting sized while they're listening to second half games plan and yada yada but um you know ultimately it's on the players i think that what finch is trying to do but you would agree that that's a troubling trend yes absolutely and i think you know i brought it up as my number three i think that um what finch can do is what he's i think trying to do which is get these guys to trust each other play hard consistently play together consistently move the ball consistently play the game the right way and let their talent take over and if they fall into a consistent five six seven eight game stretch of just playing the game the right way I think you're going to see the third quarter numbers start to you know come back to their favor because there's just too much talent they're just getting beat on effort and concentration out the locker room all right hit me with your number five my number five was kind of in leading to that though so who holds the starters accountable to do the right things for the entire time on the floor? Team leadership, leading by positive example, because, you know, it's hard for Cat to get on Ant when you're not getting back. It's hard for Ant to say anything to anybody when you're loafing. It's hard for Rudy to come in as the new guy and say, damn it, I've had enough after five games. This just going to change. You know, it's hard for Deagle to say anything to anybody in his warts. <laughs> so, and, so, and James, so, the quiet one. Okay, so here's what here's <laughs> so, what I heard Finch say sort of as, as, an, as a response to that earlier before the season got going. He's going to have to be some of that stuff. Right. Because cause I agree with you. None of those guys, I think ultimately that dude's going to be Rudy. At I least agree. early on, it's going to be Rudy. He's, he's the dude with consistent winning habits. Right. Multiple All-Pro. Right. Defensive Player of the Year. He's got more. He's just got more more clout than anybody on this team. Well, I, and he's won, and he's done it every year. I think in the end, you want that person to be Ant. I, I think we're at least two years old. I'm saying in the end, yeah. by the time that guy gets into his prime, obviously you want yeah. that guy. But it until then, be. I think Rudy's got to be that dude. Rudy seems to be the kind of guy who understands how to keep people, hold people accountable without just becoming, you know, the well, enemy. And, and let's see what happens because if Cat, you know, and we're going to get to that in the next segment, if Cat can keep up this kind of more level-headed play, then he can be that just guy. sprint back. And just bust your ass getting, which might be conditioning, right? Because he did have a, a wonky, you know, preseason run up. So if he gets to the point where he's feeling in shape and if he can just lead by the example of sprinting back, he's passing the ball to everybody. So he's doing the right thing there. I like what I saw the last couple of games about his quick decision making in terms of shot selection. So he's doing the right things there. If he can just sprint back and people can't say, if you stop loafing your ass back, you know, if they can take that, that bullet away, you think then he, he can do it. Okay. I, I have concerns about that because Cat is a little bit of a loose cannon. I mean, I, 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 like, take for example the whole like diet thing with Ant. To me, that's the kind of shit that you don't say 
to the media? Well, from what I understand, there was context in the way the question, like from what I understand, there was a bigger picture than just that soundbite. And so, you know, what I'm, but yeah, what I'm saying is it's, it, whether there's bigger, better context or not, what, what you're reading in terms of headlines is enough to, if I were Ant, it would be like, it would annoy me. Uh, only for, because for these, be reasons, back for these reasons. <laughs> okay? For these reasons. Okay? Now, granted, right. if Cat, you know, was the perfect example of, of, of leadership on the court and he was mature and didn't melt down with refs. And mm-hmm. I feel like there's a list of things that he's going to have to clean up before he can be that person. Whereas right. Rudy has a more even temperament. And thus, you don't know if he's pissed off Rudy saying this to you, so you have to like gauge it in that way. Yeah. Or if it's, well, <laughs> no, you're going to get pissed off Rudy, but I feel like Cat's, his, uh, his personality is so like, up and down and hot and cold. And I, I think when you're disseminating information that's as crucial as that, it's got to come from a level-headed individual. I, I agree. I also will say that um, everybody had a right to be really pissed at Ant. And we also don't know behind the scenes how Ant prepared for that second night of a back-to-back. So at the end of the day, like... I, I think that's probably water under the bridge for the players. And he did actually point out an example where he's 100% correct. One thing Kat and Rudy both do that we know of as all NBA players is take care of their body, you know. And so it, it was like kind of some, some big brother, little brother stuff. Yeah, I, I didn't, didn't like, like it, it because the media is looking for Bam. fault lines. Bam. With this. They're looking for any angle exactly. they can. And you to have to be intelligent enough to, those, to, to, to know not those the dudes have their own the narratives that they're going to want to work. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and this brings me, like, I just want to backtrack quickly, brings me to a question that was asked Torian and his presser okay. about energy and effort, mm-hmm. right? Um, someone said something to the effect of, I've noticed that when you come into the game, you, you know, you bring maximum effort. You get on the floor, and is that something that you can teach the starters? Mm, I missed this one. And Do I tell. thought, well, this is going to be interesting <laughs> how he responds to this, because that person asking that question is trying to write a column. Mm-hmm. And he is aware of that. And so instead of saying, yeah, I try to, I try to like show them how to do it. And he could mean that, he could mean well in saying that. But in saying that, you've basically given that guy his column or that woman, right. that column, it's a man in this case. Um, he said instead, I think we all have that ability. I think we all want to get on the floor and do it. That might not actually be true, but he's making a statement to them without having to answer the question in the context of you're good, they're bad. Right, right. And, 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 and he's right because ultimately you can't be a championship level team if everybody on the floor isn't committed to put forth that level of energy. And that's what we have not seen. So that question was everybody. essentially asserting that right. now that might actually be true. These people are watching these games. They're, they're up closer than we are in many cases. But it sets up an adversarial kind of scenario inside that locker room, right? If in the next. way that, in the way that Cat answering that that question about Ant and the fashion that he did sets up a potential. No, I think Ant handled it really well and came out and got thirty four the next night. So and also said I didn't even hear about it, but which but, is not true. You know that's bullshit. I know. But here, here's the here's the other part about that too, though is um, and and it, and it could be brilliant, you know. It, it might also have been Cat, you know, kind of 
imparting the, and, and this is all conjecture, the idea that Ant has to take this more seriously. Ant has not been in the league eight, nine years and had been beaten on the way Cat has by the basketball world and been accused of not being able to win and not, you know, being empty stats. And he hasn't weathered what Cat has weathered. And Ant's very young and he still takes kind of a carefree approach at times to the game in that San Antonio game, that first San Antonio game was exhibit A amplified, right? And I and and so again, yes, we you know, and and at the, regardless of how we feel about it as fans or as the media or what have you, you know, Cat does have some you know, he, he's got some cred. He's got some cred in that locker room. And yeah, we, we pick apart Cat's game, but we pick apart Cat's game because Cat's so damn good. Right. And so, you know, I just think that, you know, I agree with you in the fact that why give the media that ammunition when you know they're looking for reasons to pick and peck at the fabric of uh, the thread, pull a thread on this team. But I also feel like, you know, Cat wasn't completely wrong in kind of calling out Ant. And if you're going to call out Ant, calling out Ant's diet is a lot better than calling out anything Ant's doing on the court. That's fine. Except that Ant had already gone on record saying that he had, like, Pretty much part of ways with fast food. This is why I think that in some ways was a little bit brilliant by Cat because Cat knows that because 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 what I think because what are we even talking about old habits right? So you're saying this would be so he's saying this is Cat kind of saying like you know and Bradley Cat saying Ant plays with y'all. He's saying that Ant plays with y'all. We need Ant to really be serious because teams are coming at us. Okay, I can dig that. I can dig that. I didn't. I didn't like it. I, I, I maintain that I didn't I like it. At it. As but a player, I as a player who's been in locker rooms, I thought it was funny. Well, you know, <laughs> listen, man. All I know is is if Ann had reacted uh, in adverse fashion, mm-hmm. then what we got is is a Fisher. But if Ann acts in adverse fashion and goes out there angry and drops thirty four and eleven. Which I think he sort of, that was his angry response. It was. It was like, okay, you, I'm not taking this serious enough. Okay, I'm going to show you serious. And, then, and you know, and, and but what we got to be leery of is we also don't want that because that's the balance with Ant. And Finch called it out after last night's game. Yes, Ant had an explosive 16-point third quarter. And you can watch that and go, man, Ant's a monster. But this is ugly-ass basketball. Yeah. You know, so you got to There's a balance that Ant has to learn to strike. I want Ant to be all that he can be, and so I remember the Popeyes thing, and I chuckled, but inside I was like, "Damn," because that means that dude is not as serious about his diet as I'm, I'm hoping that he will ultimately be. And he will be I, when he said when he did the whole Popeyes and the McDonald's thing. I remember I was thinking, man. To be 18, 19 years old and be able to eat trash and go out and play 35 minutes in an NBA game and drop 30, you know, like must be nice, man. If I eat Popeye's chicken, I got gut rot for the, for a whole day. Uh Oh, I just, I just dissed Popeye's on it. Edit that out. (laughs) Potential sponsor. Okay. Let's, let's move on to hope it never ends. Okay. And I'm going to lead with my guy because I think he is, Proving that he was worth 
those extra couple draft picks. Mm-hmm. Jaden McDaniels has been so damn good. I mean, I know that he has a couple games where he hasn't scored as much as he could have, and we've all already gotten to the reasoning behind that. But in terms of a presence on the floor mm-hmm. and guarding the hell out of people mm-hmm. and being comfortable letting that go from behind the arc, knowing when to drive it, mid-range game, that dude has been so beautiful out there. Thoughts? Uh, that was my number three, two-way Jaden McDaniels. I mean, and and my thoughts is he's confident. He knows what he's capable of. And if as this team learns to play together better, he's going to be the most direct beneficiary. He'll have more nights where he scores 15 to 20 points and they don't call play for him. And that's a good omen for the Timberwolves. So, like, you know, in short – Agreed. You know, that was your one. It was my number three. So when we get to number three, I'll just skip me. Right. Cause, All right, let's cause, get your cause one. Jaden's the man. My number one was Jaden Noel and Torian Prince. And both of them have not shown one shift in their mentality from the first preseason game to game six we're in now. And, you know, my highlights being last night's game, Torian Prince was outstanding, you know, on both ends of the floor. And he made a shot, speaking of which, leading by example, right, that shot that he made in the fourth quarter after it was just like ugliness both directions for like three straight trips. When when Torian Prince took that shot – I said, as I was watching the TV, that was a, I'm so tired of this shit shot. (laughs) It was like, it was like, it it reminded me of a time that I was in a a men's league game and we blew a six point lead with like 15 seconds with a hit of three because we didn't guard. And then we committed a stupid turnover. They hit another three. We call a timeout and I walk over to the team and I say, look, just give me the ball and let's go home. And I literally walk up to court, hit the game winner, walk out the gym. And that's what it felt like Torian was doing. And we, you know, if you've ever played pickup ball and you've been a quality player and you're playing with some guys at the gym that aren't on your level mentally and you're just watching them suck and it's game point and your team hasn't scored for three straight give trips. Me that thing. And you're just like, man, give me the ball. I'm done with this. Well, and that, that was, was that shot. That was a very adult moment. Exactly. Because it felt like. If honestly, it felt like fifth graders running around there kicking a the ball. Yep, yep. And like, what the hell's going on out here? This is like first it was like dodgeball, then it was kickball, <laughs> then it was t-ball, but it wasn't yes. basketball. Yes, and, yes. And Torian's like, listen, man, enough of this mess. Right. We're getting a timeout. I'm tired. I'm sick of running back and forth watching people miss shots and turn the ball over. Okay. Boom. Well, so Torian, Torian and Jalen was my number and one. The bench mob is kind of been yeah because Torian. Jalen, Nas, and, and yeah. J-Mac, those dudes have been ready to play whenever yes. their number was called. And I think that is something that I would love to see continue. So yeah. that's, that's, that's one of mine. So, and then my second one was big to big passing from Cat to Rudy and passing overall. Hope it never ends. Cat's passing overall, yeah. right? Not just the big to big passing from Cat to Rudy, but Cat's passing overall. Hope we see that for the remaining 76 games. Is your first or second? That one? was my second one. Okay, my second one is Ant is heating up. Yeah. He's uh he's averaging right at 24 points a game right now, and I don't even feel like he's he's hit his stride yet. But I did see a couple of things that I thought were interesting. We don't see a lot of Ant post-ups. But he's 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 quality around the basket. He's got he, – he's that inside pivot. He's got all that stuff going on already, and I – I gotta believe that's gonna be something that's gonna be in his future. I agree, and as much near as, future, as much as the fans love the dri- dribble between the legs five times, step back in three. If Ant's gonna go ISO ball, I would love to see Ant just dribble back down somebody in the post and ISO that way. There we go. 
So. He's so strong. He's so, like, athletic. That dude knows how to put a body on you around the basket for a 21-year-old. That's pretty impressive stuff. That's my number two. Yep, and yeah. then I, so we were on the num- you're number and, three. And we're going to be repeating some of these, obviously. So cat lobbing to Rudy and just cats passing in general has been exquisite. Yeah. And that is something that I would love to see more. I feel like, in a way, that's the impetus for unlocking this whole thing, especially around with between he and and uh, Rudy. I feel like him being unselfish in this way is not just beneficial offensively, but I think spiritually it's going to be good for that energy. I mean, his willingness to say, "Okay, I'm going to fi- I'm going to be overt in trying to unlock you." Because I know I can get mine ultimately. That is the kind of maturity we'd like to see him have during the course of the game. But he started to exhibit it a little bit with his passing and Rudy. And obviously other people are benefiting from that. Yeah. But Rudy is, is, is getting a quick indoctrination into what's going on here because of Pat's, uh, Cat's passing. So that was your number three? That was my number three. Well, then I already talked about my number three, which was two-way Jaden, so I'll piggyback off of that, which was my number four. Cats calm herself the last two games and taking what the defense gives them. So basically exactly what you're talking about. You know, Nikola Jokic is the player that I'm going to comp it. Um, Denver's a contender every year because Jokic just takes what the defense gives them. He's patient and he's making the right pass more often than not. And his players cut hard because they know he's looking for them. The more cat passes like this, the more Jaden McDaniels is going to cut hard. Maybe we'll actually see off the ball and cut, you know, by the end of the season because he knows cat's going to find him. So the calmer cat taking what the defense gives him, you want to give me the 15 footer? Okay. I'm not going to drive into your chest and complain about a foul. I'm just going to dot your eye with this 15 footer. I'm going to take this knockdown three. I'm going to make the pass because the double's coming and I'm not even going to fight it. And I'm not going to argue. I'm just going to play the game calm and kill you with, you know, kill you softly, you know? And so, which I should be careful saying that as cat's been compared to being soft, which I disagree. I like Finch's adage, just because you're skilled as a big doesn't mean you're soft. Cat's supremely skilled and going back to Finch, the last couple games I've seen cat beating teams with his skill as opposed to trying to prove something with force. Did you give me your four? That was four. I'm going to end with uh, something that I think I see evolving in front of my very eye. And, and if it is true, then I hope it never ends. Last year's team had a kind of uh, play for one another mm-hmm. uh, mentality, a kind of like always pulling for whoever was out there kind of energy and you didn't ever feel like somebody was talking shit behind somebody else's back or, or wishing somebody would get hurt. I know we kind of touched on this a little bit when we were talking about um, uh, Rivers, my man, saying we ain't going to have that in this locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm starting, I mean, I know Cat, I kind of hinted at it with, with Cat passing the ball mm-hmm. is an indicator of unselfishness. And I, I, I'm getting the sense now that the team is kind of developing a kind of unselfishness, which is going to go a long way to helping them be as good as they can be as a team. Man, that's definitely a trend we hope never ends. <laughs> and, and, and it kind of plays into my fifth one as well. And we didn't even talk about these beforehand. So this is, this is, it must be things we hope never ends that we see. Maybe, maybe we should discuss these beforehand. <laughs> so my <laughs> fifth out with one three was, trends. Yes. So my fifth one was the team's belief in their talent over the long haul and the team knowing what they have, which is kind of a double-edged sword because I think that mentality kind of led to some lethargic 
you know, play these first few games. But at the same time, I don't see any sense of panic in that team because I think this team believes they're talented. They know what they have in that locker room. And what you're just talking about, that's starting to become cohesive, that we see kind of trending upward and hope that it never ends. Um, You know, I think I'm starting to see a team that believes in how talented they are. And that breeds trust. And trust breeds ball movement and togetherness, and that breeds winning. Well, that is going to bring concerning trends. I hope it never ends. Segment yes. to an end. To an end. <laughs> yes. um, I, before we wrap here, I, yes, I want to get some your impressions on like some league wide surprises. Okay. Um, and we kind of had a couple of those uh, in in the crib here recently, anyway. But you know. Utah playing hard is not a surprise. Utah winning in the way that they're winning, that they're winning and beating some of the teams that they've beaten, that's a little bit of a surprise. Um, not because it's inconceivable because these are NBA players, but how well they're playing is a little bit of a surprise. Not that the, I mean, because sometimes playing hard, another team underestimates you, you can outwill them and, and get to the gate first, but I, or get to the finish line first. But I get the impression. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be something that's going to be sustainable over the course of an 82-game season, but I'm surprised at how they're playing. And I'm a little bit surprised at, uh, at least I was, and they seem to be getting better now. Golden State seems to be figuring it out. And um, But who, who who are you surprised by this year? Well, um, Good and bad. I, I'm, well, Utah doesn't surprise me because I think when you have 10 guys that have been kind of elite-level role players on their teams and you put them together, you don't have any sticky ball movement, right? Well, and yeah, so but generally speaking in those situations, sometimes somebody tries to prove that they're the alpha male and then you got a shitstorm on your hand. I think so with young players. I don't think so with veteran players. And they're dead without a veteran players. Um, um, Golden State doesn't surprise me. They're going to pace themselves all season long. I think during the second half of the season, you're going to see them in the top four seeds. Um, San Antonio is surprising and they shouldn't be I think what's surprising to me about San Antonio is that teams are not matching their level of effort intensity because it's not like Pop is new to this so when you're playing San Antonio yeah you're playing their talent but you're also playing their coach and you already know if you're going to play a Popovich coach team you're going to play against a team that plays hard and that plays the right way so you better be prepared to play hard and play the right way and I don't think teams that surprises me that teams haven't been ready for that. Um, I'm just going to be real quick. Um, the teams that are most surprising to me right now is Portland mm-hmm. being five and one. And the teams that is. Dame is hurt now. Okay. And so we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but even with Dame, it surprises me that they've started as hot as they've started. Mm-hmm. And the team in the East that's surprising, I think, is everybody's kind of like, whoa, well, Two of them is Philly and Brooklyn. I don't think anybody expected Philly. I was going to say, what the hell's going on with with Philly and Brooklyn? Because neither one of those teams looks like a top four seed right now. I think what's funny, what's going on in Philly is kind of what we were worried about happening in Minnesota, which is Philly's got a bunch of guys that really have no interest in playing defense and expecting Joel Embiid to be the all-saw, you know, to be the panacea for them not wanting to play defense. And that's catching up to them. And Brooklyn can't get a stop against anybody. And it's kind of, they don't even have a Joel Embiid to lean on. That's a top, I mean, (laughs) top heavy roster. Right. And so, and so I think both of those teams have to figure it out defensively. Um, But I also think, you know, talent generally prevails. And I think both of those teams will, but they're a little surprising early season. Um, So those are kind of my surprises league wide. 
Um, you know, the Clippers will be fine. They just laid a couple eggs against Oklahoma City in games in which Paul George and Kawhi didn't play. Right on. Well, listen, man. It's been a good time talking to you. And Isn't there a game tomorrow? There's a game tomorrow. And before we get out of here, this quick, let's just do a quick preview of, you know, round three with the Spurs. And what do you think that's going to look like in San Antonio? I think we're going to learn a lot about um, if the Wolves learn their lesson. It's one thing to get wiped and then come back and play angry and focused. Now it's a couple days and a whole game in between. San Antonio's not going to change in how they play. So the Wolves can't just win on talent. The Wolves are going to have to match their intensity and IQ, playing the right way. I'm curious to see if them being on the road doesn't lead toward better focus. Interesting. Well, I'll be looking forward to uh, seeing that game. That's a fact. You know, I'm going to be missing, sadly, way too many games this next couple months because I'm starting rehearsals for a play. But, you know, I'm going to be... Texting you, wondering what the hell's going on during the course of games. I'll be watching them uh, twice. But, but I'm excited about the season. I'll be, in. I'll be watching them when I get to the crib or the next day. Yes. Um, but I'm, I'm still very much excited about this season. I, I think that there are enough indicators uh, of really amazing things uh, that are in store for this team. And as a fan, I couldn't be more excited to talk about it whenever possible with, yes, with, with my man, the coach. So on behalf of the coach, I'm the crooner. You've been listening to the coach and the crooner. But before we get out of here, we want to say a special thanks to Strawberry Fields for the funky, funky theme song. And then a special, special thanks to super producer Lloyd Leon for making this thing happen for us. We love you, brother.